0: Good morning. Good morning. I hope you all are doing well. have to bear with me a moment. I'm not wired up yet. That's my turn it off button. When they want me to hush, they'll shock me. Sean wanted everybody to watch Bible class this morning. I know why he did that. I just about lost my britches. He wants everybody to see it. It wasn't a pretty sad. I wouldn't worry about that. I'm glad you all here today. I want to talk about something that's very, 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 very important. It's important to everybody. Uh, Christians, non-Christians, important to everybody. It's about life. It's the way life works. It's uh, it's difficult. It's challenging. But it's true. So let's think a few moments about these things. Uh, I'm not doing anything here. Whoop, whoop! There we go. Uh, why choose death? And everybody says so that's a silly question. Nobody chooses death. Actually, we do. We we make a choice about life. Where we're we going to spend eternity. Um, we don't think of it that way, but it's what we are doing uh, every day of our life. We're choosing our, our eternal destiny. And there shall be an eternal destiny uh, in the sweet by and by. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, Moses speaking to the children of Israel, um, he was informing them of a responsibility they had to assume for themselves. For about 40 years now, Moses had been leading Israel through the wilderness And now it was just about time to go into the land of promise. And they were going to have to act like grown-ups and make a decision as to what they wanted to do about their futures. And he said, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Those are the two choices. Those are the only two choices that matter. Those are the only two that should matter to any of us. Because even though a lot of important things go on every day for us, uh, ultimately there's only one, there's only one decision that's gonna matter. We all know, we all know, when you leave, you can't take it with you, we know that. Nevertheless, we we spend our lives fighting, scratching, trying to get hold of stuff so that we can have it. Knowing all the while that even if we do lay hold of it, we must one day give it up. We must. Because there's, there's just no way out of this world but the way that's been pointed to us. So Moses said, you've got to choose. Speaking to these people, you can make the choice. It's yours to make. You can do whatever you choose to do. Life and good, death and evil. Therefore, he suggests, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. It's all about choice, what we want to do with our life. Most people, and we all know it, they don't want to give much consideration to why we're here, where we came from, or where we're headed. Most people don't want to think about philosophical things because it's, well, it's a brain drain, let's face it, if you're not interested in such things. So most people don't give it much thought. They put it off, they put it off, and they put it off. And then they, at last they die. Uh, Not having made a choice, but that's the fallacy of the logic. By not making a choice, we make a choice. We have to choose one or the other. We have to choose God or Mammon. And if we choose Mammon, we may not get any consideration of God, but by default, we reject God. God made us in such a way that we have to seek him. We have no other choice. We, we, we look, we hunt, we're, we're constantly looking for something greater than ourselves. For most people it's money, power, fame. If I had that, I'd have all I need. That's what people think. That thing becomes their God, you see. They're, we're all looking for something that's better than we are, more important than we are, greater than we are, that can give us the things we can't possibly give ourselves. And for most people, money. That's the answer. That's why so many people are so so fiendish after money, in search of God. God designed us in such a way that we have to search. If we find God, we'll find satisfaction. If we don't find God, we'll be searching till the very day we die. Still trying to find him and being unable to. It's a choice, a choice that we all make. The age of Joshua, he made a similar address to the Israelites. He took them into the land of Canaan. They conquered the land, the land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be their home. God gave it to them. It was a gift it's a very prosperous nation, very wealthy nation. They had everything they could possibly need. They had finally made it to paradise on earth in their eyes. Out of the slavery of Egypt into the land of Canaan, they hit the big time. Well, that's of course, is a danger for anybody. When we think we've made it to the top, we're about to find out that the only way to go from the top is downward. And Joshua spoke to the people. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if you don't want to serve God, and most people do not, okay, it's a choice. Well, if you don't want to serve God, that's your choice. Choose for yourselves what you want to do. Are you going to serve God or mammon? Whether you want to serve the gods of your fathers that were on the other side of the river, back in Canaan land or Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites, the Canaan, where they now dwell. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? He's saying. Do you want to serve the same gods your father served, or do you want to serve Jehovah God? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the way we're going to live out our lives. So we all do have to make a choice may not be the right one. may not be the best one. But it's going to be our choice. It's what we want to do. And if things don't turn out the way we want to, at least we know we made our choice. They used to say a long time ago, I remember Mama saying, it, you made your bed, now you got a lie in it. I suppose that's going to be the way it is in torments too. You made your bed, now you've got a lie in it or paradise, will you praise the grace and the mercy of God for assisting you to escape that God-awful place? Can a person really be lost? It depends on who you talk to. Universalist says nobody's going to be lost. All of us are going to be saved. It's just a matter of time. Some people don't live right. Well, they're going to go into a type of a purgatory for such a time. And after the time passed, they'll go on to heaven. Ultimately, everybody goes to heaven. That's the view of the universalist. Well, that sounds pretty good, but it's just not true. The Calvinist said, well, those decisions were made before God formed the heavens and the earth before God laid the foundation of the world. He looked into the future, seeing everybody that would ever live, and he said, you, 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 and you are going to be saved. And the rest of you are going to be lost. So you don't have a choice in the matter. That's the basic doctrine of Calvinism. It's called predestination and foreordination. Thank God that's not true either. The Bible teaches us that we do have a choice between life and death. Jesus said to his apostles, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized, what about that person, Lord? He will be saved. But he who does not believe, what about that person, Lord? He's going to be condemned in the end. These aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus the Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who ultimately will come back and destroy them. Don't have to worry about all this green stuff. Man's not going to destroy the world. That belongs to the Lord. And he'll destroy it when he chooses to destroy it. And nobody can stop him. That's just the way things will be. And when that time comes, we'll stand on our decision whether we believed what Jesus Christ said or not. Then we will be divided by the Lord Jesus Christ The few will go with him back to heaven and the rest will perish in what he called a lake of fire. He ought to know he's the one that created the place. He created it for Satan and rebellious angels and for those who refuse to accept his offer of grace. We're here, there has to be a reason And we are so sophisticated. We are so great. We are so magnificent that you know, you know it's not going to end here because we're better than that. We're not a dog or a horse or a cow. We're living beings made in the image of God himself. We are immortal there was a moment when God fused the spirit into the body. But after he fused the spirit into the body, that spirit will never die, will never know death other than separation from God. That's what the future holds. Again, the Lord Jesus said, "He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already." You don't have to wait till the day of the judgment. There was a night when I chose to become a Christian. I was in that other building over yonder. Herman Fox was the preacher here. There was a gospel meeting going on. I don't remember who was preaching. But I obeyed the gospel that night. Before I obeyed the gospel, I was 24 at the time. But before I obeyed the gospel, God had already condemned me. I was living on death row, didn't even know it. I thought I was living a good life. But I was living on death row. And the night I obeyed the gospel, my sins were washed away. The Lord pardoned me from death row. I no longer live under divine condemnation. Now I live by faith in the Son of God. And this is what we're learning here it's not about being condemned in the future, it's about being condemned right where we sit. It's not something that's going to come to pass. It's something that has already come to pass. I didn't like being under condemnation so I got out from under it. Well, what about you? What about you? Why? It's because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God sent his Son into the world. An act of divine grace, he permitted him to be abused by men and murdered. And those who have no regard or respect for what he gave us, he has no regard or respect for. That's not close to the truth. That is the truth. People choose to be lost. That's the only way it can be. God doesn't choose who will and who will not be lost. He gave us a rule to live by. But the choice to live or not live by that rule belongs to us. And we do what we choose. In John 1 and 11, John said, He came to his own, Jesus. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They looked at him, they listened to him, and they said, Thanks, but no thanks, we don't want any part of you. He came to the Jews first. They said, thanks, but no thanks, we don't want any part of you. In Matthew 23 and 37, the Lord cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together Just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. He was. He pleaded. He cried out. He sacrificed. He lived throughout his ministry for the sake of others. Begging them. To turn to God and away from sin. And they said thanks, but no thanks. They weren't willing. They didn't want it. And they made the wrong choice. Jesus said to the Jews he was speaking to one day, you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. He was holding out eternal life as a gift, but they didn't want the gift. I can understand turning down gifts I was a supervisor one time where I worked, and a group got together and bought me a Christmas gift, and I asked them not to do it. I'd learned to experience in the past that most people do it because they feel like they have to, not because they want to. And I didn't want to keep this going on where people had to buy me something. So I just asked them not to give me a gift. Thanks, but no thanks. I wasn't being mean or vicious. I was trying to let them off the hook. We can do the same thing with God. He's offered us the gift of life. We don't have to accept the gift. Nobody's going to twist our arm and make us. And that's what he was saying. In John 6, and 7, Jesus had preached what I call the bread of life sermon. From that time, many of his disciples went back. They walked with him no more. They didn't like what he had to say. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll see you later. And they walked off. Well, Jesus turned and he said to the 12 apostles, do you also want to go away? You men have to make a choice. Do you want to follow the crowd? Do you want to walk away from me? Are you ready to give up? They probably found his sermon obnoxious as well. And Peter responded, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the way to eternal life. Where would we go if we left you? And they said no, and they stayed behind. Jesus said in John seven seventeen. note please, this is a very important passage. If anyone wants to do his will, if anyone wants to do the will of God, if anyone has a desire to do the will of God, if anyone wants to please God, if anyone wants to make God love him, if anyone has a passion To be approved of God, you shall know concerning his doctrine, his teaching. But you've got to want it. You've got to want it. Going to church, well, that don't cut it. A lot of people go to church, but they really don't want the Lord They want to go to church because that's what good people do. They go to church. Mama expects me to be there. Daddy will be upset if I don't show up. I don't want to go, but I have to go. Well, there's really nothing in worship for a person so minded. Jesus said, if you want to do the will of God, if that's your passion, you shall know concerning the doctrine." why would anyone choose to be lost as i said a moment ago the number one reason i think is going to be unbelief people don't believe they don't believe in what they can't see and i gotta be honest with you i really understand it i had a hard time it's hard to believe in a god you cannot see i tried and tried when i was trying to become a christian i tried to believe in god and i couldn't I studied the Word of God, I studied, and I studied, and I studied. And finally, I studied enough where I came to the point that I knew the Bible was truthful, at least in the points that I knew and understood. But I was still having a problem with accepting God. I can't see God. And when I speak to God, he doesn't speak back. How can a being who loves me so much not talk to me? Why doesn't he give me a sign? Why doesn't he show me so I'll know? Why doesn't God do something to help me believe? And then I discovered the proofs were all around me. As a matter of fact, I was the proof that God exists. Since that time, I've studied what they call Christian apologetics, and through the experience I have learned and now I know that God is because otherwise we wouldn't be here. Evolution has been shown for what it is, a theory that people have drawn through the years and built on that goes nowhere. It's foolish, it's silly, and shortly, it will be obsolete. That's why it's still called a theory. They say it's science. Well, if it's really science, it would be called a fact. But there's no one in their right mind gonna call it a fact. They call it a theory, you know why? A theory is an educated guess. But to be honest with you, it's not even a a theory. It's not an educated guess. It's nothing more than a hypothesis. A a hypothesis is an idea that somebody espouses. I think the world's made out of cheese, somebody says. That's a hypothesis. Well, what do you do with a hypothesis? You test it. You prove it. Is the world really made out of cheese? You take a spoon and you dig into it, taste it, and you discover, well, it doesn't taste like cheese, it doesn't look like cheese. The evidence appears to be against it and the hypothesis drives up. Before it could even become a theory, it's got to be tested to some degree and proven to be plausible. How do you test the beginning of time? How can anyone test the beginning of time? It's something that happened one time and only one time. It's never been repeated. How can anybody test the hypothesis and come to the conclusion that this deserves to be considered a theory? It's not a theory, it's hypothesis, it's someone's guess, it's silly, it's foolish, and it ought to be rejected. But so many people can't believe in God because they've been taught what some creature refers to as science. Science. But it's not science at all. It's like so many things we see going on in our culture today. There's no difference between a boy and a girl. A boy can be a girl, a girl can be a boy. They switch back and forth, switch back and forth. It's almost as though the world has gone insane. But for sundry reasons, People don't believe in God. And primarily the reason is because they've never tested the evidence to see if God exists. We came from somewhere. We're bound to be here for a reason. Look how wonderfully made we are. And where shall we go? There's only one place to find the answers to the most fundamental questions of life. And that, of course, is the holy scriptures, but people won't take the time to look. They don't care, they're not interested. Que sera, sera, and they go about their lives. I believe unbelief is the number one reason that people are choosing to be lost. By making no choice, they make a choice by default. Eternal condemnation. Another reason is riches. We we trust in riches. We trust in what they can do for us. If we have enough money, you can drive a nice car. You can live in a really nice house. You can go on vacations. You can do fun stuff all the time. If you get sick, you can buy your way through it and have somebody to take care of you and get well. If we have riches, we have everything that we want. But then one day, we die. And we leave our riches behind. And we end up with nothing. Have you ever seen a rich man that's satisfied? Have you ever heard of a rich man that's satisfied? Can, can a man have enough money to be content, to be happy? A man who, who craves riches? There's no end. So many people search, fight, kill for the sake of riches. We read about a man in the New Testament we refer to him as the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16, and onward. He, he was a man who, from all appearances, at least to me, who, who wanted to give honor to God very much, very much. Uh, Jesus had left town, and apparently this man didn't have an opportunity to speak to him one-on-one so he ran down the road after him as he left town. Jesus stopped and waited and the man got there. What must I do to have eternal life? He asked the Lord. And Jesus said, well, you know, you know the commandments. You've been taught them from your youth up. You don't steal, you don't honor false gods, etc., etc. And the man said, yes, yes, I know them. All, all, all those I've kept from the time I was a boy. But something was missing. Some, it wasn't right yet. Even though he'd done all that was required of him to do, he just didn't feel complete. He said, well, what, what do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be whole or complete, If you want to be everything you can be in this world in honor of God, you need to go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. He thought, and he went away very sad because he had such great riches. I have no doubt that this man really, really, really wanted to honor God. But when it came to putting God before his riches. He just couldn't do that. And he went away very sad. He thought he wanted to be whole. Only to find out that he didn't want it badly enough. How much does stuff matter to me? I tell you what stuff has always mattered to me. I wanted stuff ever since I can remember. I never resorted to stealing and killing and stuff like that to get stuff. But boy, I wanted stuff, good stuff, fun stuff. <clears throat> they still like stuff. <laughs> but how much do I like it? Do I, do I like it so much that I would abandon my responsibility to God Would I give up preaching to find the stuff that I want? How much does stuff matter to you? It could be stuff is why we choose to be lost. We just like it too much. Demas was a a disciple of Paul. He followed Paul on his missionary journey And we're told in 2 Timothy 4 and 10 that Demas abandoned Paul because he loved the world. There he was, a disciple of Christ in company with Paul the apostle. And he decided he loved the world so much that he would abandon everything he had in the Lord, which he probably didn't have much But he had fellowship with God. He had salvation. But he wanted the world. And he abandoned Paul. Our Lord said, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Sometimes stuff prevents us from obeying God what about you I've got so much more I'd love to say but I've been keeping you late the last few weeks so I'm going to give you a break today what hinders you from obeying the Lord what hinders you from giving yourself totally to the Lord completely to the Lord If you're not what you want to be in Christ, if something's missing, if something's lacking, look in your heart and answer the question that you alone can answer. What is stopping me? Repent of it.